Tennessee. This is our third week in our message. We're doing a series of teaching on graphic redemption. And today we're going to be looking at Matthew 27, verses 11 to 31. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed him, handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, Let this blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. And most of you probably watched the movie The Passion of the Christ when it came out almost ten years ago. And I was looking at some of the comments that critics of that movie had made because they couldn't stand the excessive violence in that movie. And this coming from Hollywood. Like one guy said, in showing Christ's relentless, agonizing pain, Mel Gibson seems to edge from tribute towards sadism. Another one wrote, excessively grotesque, an unpleasant experience. And it certainly was that. But movies like Rambo or Die Hard or Terminator had excessive, gratuitous violence, but those movies weren't criticized. Other movies that had historic violence in them were critically acclaimed and won many awards, like Saving Private Ryan, Braveheart, or Gladiator. And the amazing thing is, when we watched that movie and we watched the beating that Jesus experienced, Mel Gibson didn't actually go far enough with it. 
it, it couldn't actually be accurately portrayed what he really experienced in that beating. And nearly one-third of the Gospels are actually dedicated to Jesus' suffering and his death, like to the final week of his life. Like more is given to that than to his birth. Like only two of the four Gospels actually talk about the birth of Jesus. And we tend to emphasize things like Christmas. It's so nice to talk about little babies. We have them all over the place in our church these days. And it's much nicer to invite someone to a Christmas Eve service where we celebrate a birth than it is to invite them to Easter when we talk about death, when we talk about this terrible torture and crucifixion. So we wonder, okay, maybe we can just kind of fast forward through the torture and we can get to the resurrection part because that's the good news part, that's the exciting part, and leave those scenes of violence behind. But the Bible says there can be no salvation without the shedding of blood. So you and I have an eternal interest in what took place. And in order to understand what took place with Jesus, we can go back to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you may be familiar with his prayer there. That he was praying that God would take this cup away from him. He was basically asking his father, is there a plan B? Because if there is, now's a good time for you to kind of play that card and I won't have to go through with this crucifixion and with all of the persecution that I would experience. But there was no plan B. So Luke 22:44, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then he went from there to his arrest, to the numerous beatings he experienced. And when a man was scourged, is what the Romans did, they would either strip them naked or what little amount of clothing they still had on would be quickly torn off their body. Their hands would be tied high above their heads, tied to a pole, so that the skin on the back would be tight and thin, so it would be easy to rip into it. And then... We hear people talking about the 39 lashes that Jesus would have experienced. Well, that's in the Jewish system of law. If he was being punished by the Jews, he would have received 40 lashes minus one. But this was punishment from the Romans. The Romans had no such number. They just continued to strike a man until he was this close to death. And theologians and historians say that six or seven out of every ten people that experienced a Roman scourging actually died during it, because they tried to bring you that close to death. And the whip was made of braided leather with metal balls woven into it, so they were designed to beat on the skin and actually bruise right to the bone. And then they had pieces of bone and other sharp objects woven in there as well. And they were designed to rip into the flesh. So the flesh on a victim's back, his buttocks, his legs, would just be torn away. And eventually, the spine would actually be revealed as well. But it didn't stop there for Jesus, because one of the soldiers thought it would be funny to take this kind of branch that had thorns on it, form it into a crown, and place it on Jesus' forehead. Now, the forehead doesn't have a lot of feeling. That wouldn't have been a lot of pain. And we know that from watching soccer. You'll see professional soccer players 
a ball is kicked from 60 yards away, 60 meters away by the goaltender, it's probably another 40, maybe 30 yards in the air. They jump and they hit that with their forehead because we don't experience pain there. But there are a lot of capillaries in the forehead. So that thorny branch placed on his head would have brought a mess of blood. The blood would have been running into his ears and into his eyes, obscuring his vision. But it doesn't stop there. The scriptures tell us that the soldiers then continued to mock Jesus. And it's almost like you would see on a playground where a group of bullies gather around some poor unsuspecting kid and they egg one another on to, you know, well, it was wedgies back in my day. I don't know if kids still do that, but that was horrible. <laughs> and we won't go into detail, some of you experienced it. But it, with Jesus, it would have been probably 600 soldiers gathered together. So the ones that are on the outer rim, they're actually shouting at the ones that are on the inside, encouraging them to do things to Jesus. So they would beat him on the head with a stick. Someone said, oh, you're a king, are you? Well, here's the robe. Why don't you put this on? I can understand the importance of Jesus' blood being shed for us because that is what provides us our salvation. But then they spit on him. And, and that's where I think, okay, this had to stop. It, it had to stop at that point. And that's where we think Jesus would have done something as well. And the most difficult question isn't, why did the Romans torture Jesus? It's why did Jesus allow the Romans to torture him? That this was of his own free will. Did the Romans crucify Jesus? Well, I don't think so. Did the Jews crucify Jesus? Well, no, they didn't either. It was Jesus taking his own life. He was allowing his life to be taken from him. He was giving it up freely. I read about what Navy SEAL recruits go through when they train for that branch of the U.S. military. And they said that these guys will consume 7,000 calories a day, but they'll still lose weight. And there will be weeks where they'll get as little as four hours of sleep in the whole week. So they start to hallucinate. But they're there as volunteers. And in the middle of that training camp, there is a little bell. And those people that have volunteered to be a Navy SEAL, if they decide they can't take it anymore, they want to quit, all they have to do is ring that little bell and they're out of there. They're free. No one is forcing them to do this. And up to 70% actually quit at some point during that training. And throughout history, and we stand amazed at the many times that God didn't intervene. We see cruel dictators. We see what they're doing to people. And we wonder, why doesn't God do something? Like Hitler, for example. If I was God, I would have stepped on Hitler and crushed him like he was a little bug. But God showed incredible self-restraint. He allows free will. And we can never be more amazed by his free will than what we see taking place with Jesus in his death, in his punishment. In Matthew 26, verse 53, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's 72,000 angels Jesus could have called on him. Now I think about this, and I think as a father, 
And, and I think of how I would have reacted. I, I would want to protect my child. My daughter Shannon, who was playing the keyboard here this morning, back when she was in grade four, this AJ, who was in grade six, was picking on her every day after school. He would wait for her, and then he'd chase her around the parking lot. I knew the kid because he was in a split class with my oldest daughter, Brittany, at one time. So I'm a father. I don't want my kid putting up with this any longer. So I go to the school. I'm waiting at the end of the school. Shannon comes walking by. And then, sure enough, there's AJ coming to chase her. And I just kind of step in between and intervened a little bit. And AJ, did, AJ didn't bug my daughter ever again. We just had a little chat. And if I was God, that's what I would have done. Like, I would have had a little chat with those Roman soldiers. That would have stopped right there. But no. And then just think of the angels. The 72,000 of them, they're up there in heaven. They're waiting. They want to be dispatched. And when is he going to call us? Like, we're here, just say the word, and this will be over. But the bell didn't ring. And he's tortured, and he was killed for you and for me. So our focus for the next few minutes is going to be on why did the Romans torture him? And that word why is one that we use all the time. When we see unexplained pain, unjustified suffering, and we can't understand it, we ask why? You know, why is this happening? So why did the Romans torture Jesus? Here are some reasons. Like one of them was ignorance. Like they didn't know what they were doing. That Jesus even said that himself when he was on the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. They didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God, and ignorance is no defense. Ignorance is actually the one that we use most of the time. Like, I didn't realize that. But like, how was I supposed to do that when I didn't know it? Or you'll say, did you take out the garbage? I didn't know it was garbage day. Or did you eat my chocolate bar, Daddy? And I say, well, no, I didn't know it was your chocolate bar. I wrote my name on it. I even told you it was my chocolate bar. Oh, I'll buy you a new one. But, and then, did you know why I pulled you over so? Well, no, I don't. When really, we might know that we were over the speed limit or we had gone through a yellow light that turned red before we even got there. Did you know? that you are being the Son of God beyond recognition? Did you know that your sins actually caused the bruises on His body? Did you know that your transgressions and wounds were placed upon Him? We didn't know that. If we had known, we would have stopped. And if they had known, they would have stopped. If the Romans had known that, how could they have known? He, he was a Jewish carpenter. And there was all kinds of trouble because of him. People were wanting to kill him. They just knew they had a problem. They didn't know that he was the one that actually formed them, or as the scriptures say, knit them in their mother's womb. He was the one that created them in the first place. They didn't know it. So out of ignorance, they killed him. Now out of ignorance, most of us have done things we regret. I sat across the table from a young couple who had both slept with other people in previous relationships, and now they were dealing with issues as a result of one another's past. And she spoke for them and said, well, I just didn't know. If only we had known. 
Or a young man stands before a judge. He got drunk and then got behind the wheel of his vehicle and he drove on the wrong side of the median. And he said, I didn't even see that van. If only I had known, I wouldn't have gotten behind that wheel. Ignorance might be an explanation, but it's never an excuse. It might explain what we did, but it doesn't acquit us of what we've done. Like one lawyer said, you're not even allowed to plead ignorance for a crime you committed. It's your responsibility to know. Isn't that amazing? We can't plead ignorance. And there might even be some laws that we have in our country right now that we aren't aware of, and we might break and not even know it. And most of these are from Canada. They're laws that are still in existence, and they're listed under dumb laws. And we, if we're not careful, we might get caught breaking them. But one of them is citizens may not publicly remove bandages. So if you have a Band-Aid on, in certain places you can't take that Band-Aid on. You can't work on your car in the street. And then there's one uh, province, might be Alberta, says you can't, you're not permitted to wear cowboy boots unless you have at least two cows, unless you own at least two cows. And then uh, one other place, the owners of houses with Christmas lights up past February 2nd may be subject to a fine of $250. And then this is the state of Tennessee. It's illegal to gather and consume roadkill, and we might not be doing that anyway. And then also in that state, it's illegal to have more than five inoperable vehicles on your property. So is that redneck country? I guess. And then in Kentucky, a woman may not buy a hat without her husband's permission. And I was thinking, wow, change that to shoes and bring that law to Nova Scotia. And I could make a citizen's arrest. But there are a lot of laws that we aren't aware of that we could break. And there's no excuse. Like we can't say, I didn't know. Ignorance will not help us in that situation. So there's going to be a day when we stand before our judge and ignorance won't be a justifiable defense. It won't be okay to say, well, I had a Bible, but I didn't read it. Or it won't be okay to say, I was invited to church, but you know, I never went. The Bible says that we will be accountable for what we received. And ignorance won't be a legitimate excuse. It might explain, but remember what I said, it's not an excuse. In Acts 3.13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned a holy and righteous one, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. And then he makes this crystal clear as we move on to verse 17. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. But then in verse 19, he gives the appropriate response to acting in ignorance. Repent then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. While many of the Jews and many of the Romans acted in ignorance, that didn't get them off the hook. Repentance was still needed. And if out of ignorance you've been pushing Christ out of your life, 
then repentance is required in your life as well. So your parents didn't read you Bible stories when you were a child. So the first song you didn't learn to sing wasn't Jesus Loves Me. Or in your mind, you think that a relationship with God is standing or sitting at the appropriate time in a church service or saying memorized prayers that you didn't know. Or you didn't know that Jesus had gone to great lengths to have a relationship with you. You didn't know that your sin sent Jesus to the cross. You didn't know that His blood was shed for your lie, for your pride, for your deceit. You just didn't know. Don't be defensive. Don't blame your parents. You need to repent. And the Bible says that as a result of that, God will wipe away your sins, and then there will be this time of refreshing. I grew up on a farm. In the spring of every year, we would plow all the old plants that had grown over the year, over the winter, and we plowed that under, and we had this beautiful soil that was starting fresh. And we see it so many times in life when we start over. And that's what God is offering. Another reason the Romans were able to torture Jesus was prejudice. The Romans and the Jews hated each other. The Romans looked down on the Jews as inferior people, and there was constant fighting amongst the Jewish people, and the Romans didn't want to be stationed there. They wanted to be in their homeland. I just think of some of our military personnel, and they're sent into some very volatile situations. And they might wish that they were just at home, where it's nice and peaceful. But that's what these guys were experiencing. Like, why do we have to be here? Why can't we be at home? And the Jews were proud. They were independent people. And they didn't want the Romans there either. So there was a constant name-calling. There was constant ridicule. Racial slurs would be thrown back and forth. Some of the Jews would hide knives in their cloaks. And if they were walking through a crowded area where there was a Roman soldier or guard, they would stab that soldier. And then they would run away. They did anything they could against those people because they hated them so much. So the Romans, they relished the opportunity to persecute and kill this Jewish carpenter. Now maybe you know someone who hasn't embraced the Son of God because of the example of some Christian in their life. They one father who was a severe alcoholic. He had gambled away much of his family's money. His business was going down the drain. And his wife had lost respect for him. His daughters desperately were trying to find something that they could hold on to. The man was once a deacon in a church. He gave freely of his time, of his money. But then the pastor of the church left, and they also discovered he had been embezzling money. So as a result of that, he has felt prejudiced towards God's people, and he hasn't gone back. He has turned his back on God. One man got a divorce, and the church wouldn't remarry him. And later on, he found out that an official at the church had been molesting a child. So he has turned his back on God and on Christianity because of the actions of that Christian. There was a door-to-door -door survey that was done asking people why they didn't go to church. And the first reason given was church is boring. And that's what you hear all the time. They haven't come to Halifax Christian Church. But they wouldn't have written that in there. But number two was surprising. And they didn't come right out and actually say this, but 
the people doing the survey could actually put it together through the things that they were saying. But they basically had something against some Christian that came into their life at some point. They had a story. And the point of the story was, I don't like Christians, and that's why I don't go to church. The story could have been about a neighbor, it could have been about a co-worker, it might even have been about a family member. But it was some Christian who had exploited them or cheated them out of money. And maybe you have a story like that. Maybe a Christian has stabbed you in the back and you've let prejudice towards God's people keep you from embracing God's Son. The last reason that we can give for the Romans persecuting and torturing Jesus was the fact of familiarity. That they were able to do this to Jesus because this was their job. That's what these soldiers did. They had done it so many times before. Flogging a man, humiliating a man, that was just part of their job. But from Matthew's Gospel, don't you get the impression that they kind of liked what they were doing? That they seemed to enjoy it? They turned it into a game. And one of them would hit Jesus from the back and strike him on the head. And then they would say, they prophesy, who just hit you? And when Jesus was on the cross, they were actually there below his feet on the ground playing a game. So here's Jesus looking down from the cross through his nail-scarred feet, and he sees them playing games. And I sometimes wonder what it's like for him up in heaven right now to look down and see what we're doing, to see the way that people turn their backs on him, the people that he had given his life for. But here are these soldiers. They were a part of the most important event that ever took place in history, and they were playing games. And we do that at church sometimes. The Apostle Paul said, I sought to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. But we get caught up in our opinions, we get caught up in matters of personal preference, and we lose focus on what matters most. For the soldiers, it was just another day at work. They'd smelled the blood before, they'd heard the groans, they'd heard the screams. This was just old hat, as my grandmother would say. They were just doing their job, and they had grown cold to it. It's possible for those of us who attend church regularly to grow cold. We've taken communion so often that maybe it loses its meaning to us. Or we've celebrated Easter Sunday and looked at the fact that this was going back to the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we've celebrated it so much that maybe one time it took our breath away, but now it's just old hat. Maybe instead of celebrating it, you have trouble staying awake. You yawn through those special events. So maybe, like the Roman soldiers, you're unmoved by what Jesus did. And they are told about teaching children with hearing disorders. And the children's ears were all right. They could hear sounds. But the sounds that they heard would not correct, actually connect correctly to their brain. So this man said, after eight years of working with these special students, I just couldn't take it anymore. I would leave home, go to work, crying on the way to work, and then I would leave work crying as I drove home. 
They said one year after Thanksgiving weekend, there was this beautiful young seven-year-old girl named Heather, and she was out in the playground playing. So he said, I went up to her, I knelt down, I put my hands on her shoulders, I looked in her eyes, and I said, Heather, what did you eat for Thanksgiving? And Heather said, my shoes are red. And he said, because of that disconnect, I just couldn't do it anymore. And one Christian who went to watch the Passion of the Christ said that as he sat down, he looked just a little off to the right, was this guy there with his huge container of popcorn and a jumbo pop, and he had some other food that he was going to eat as well. And even throughout the most terrible parts of that movie, he was there chomping away on his popcorn, slurping on his drink, and the Christian said, no, I was really starting to judge him at first and how he was disconnecting with the movie. But after the movie was over, we were out in the lobby, he said, I actually got to be kind of close to where this guy was standing. So I went up to him and I said, how did you enjoy the movie? And the guy's response was, I thought Mel Gibson did a better job of directing Braveheart. So it's like he was saying, but my shoes are red, that there was no connect there at all. He sat through that and it was just violence to him. There was no connect to what Jesus had done for him. People struggle when they come face to face with the suffering of Jesus. And it will happen this morning. If some of you will leave from here, and the only thing on your mind will be, I wonder what's for lunch when I get home. You will have missed the connection between what Jesus has done for us and what we need to do in surrendering our lives to Him. Some of you may be eternally impacted by this. God has extended Himself to you. That's the reason why the blood of Jesus Christ was shed on that cross. It was shed so that He could invite us into a relationship with Him. His arms are open wide as He invites us to come to Him. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing a commitment song. And I'm giving you the opportunity to come to the front and meet me and make that decision. Maybe you just want to talk afterwards with me or one of our other staff or leaders. Do that. Please make that commitment.